This morning, um, God's word comes to us from Luke 10, the story of Martha and Mary. And before we get to that, we're going to read, actually, just a little bit before that piece in the passage starts, we'll read from verse 25 onwards, where Jesus um, gives us the command and uh, invitation into being a good Samaritan. The reason why I chose this sermon uh, on Mary and Martha is because it's very uh, uniquely linked to our home visit theme this year of abiding in Christ and resting in him and um, being assured of that you are tapped into the vine. <clears throat> so we will start Luke 10, uh, starting at verse 25 on page 1196. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, that is Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And here follows our text. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha came, uh, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much, with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. The sermon uh, that we have before us this morning is paired, prepared by my brother in uh, Jubilee Canadian Reformed Church. And there were a number of references in here that were uniquely tied to their congregation, so he tailor-fit them for us. So it wasn't my doing. Fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have before us actually a very, very simple story, a very, very well-known story. 
so well known, uh, this story of Mary and Martha, that in fact, in our culture today, many people even know what it is to be a Martha or a Mary. Many people would actually understand that. You hear that even amongst people who are not necessarily Christian. If you are a Martha, then people would say you tend to be somebody who's a real go-getter, you like your to-do lists, you like getting them done, you like doing lots of work, scurrying about, organizing and accomplishing things, much work on the go. And often one of your primary love languages is acts of service. In the world of work or careers, we often call that person a type A personality. And then if you're a Mary, you don't like that so much. You tend to be a person who likes to drink wine and coffee and have conversations with people. You love spending quality time with others. And often empathy and understanding are more important to you than lots of things to do, a busy calendar, or tomorrow's to-do list. So if I were to ask you this morning, how many people here are Marthas? And how many here would say that they are married? And how many would say, I don't really know? If you don't know, you're probably a Mary, because you know when you're a Martha. I actually have a Martha and a Mary in my life. My mother is a very stereotypical Martha. Her love language is acts of service and being brought up in a good Dutch Protestant work ethic. She knows how to work. She gets her done. Her motto still rings clear in my mind, time for fun when work is done. You know, I would bring a bunch of people over to the house, a bunch of friends, and she would scurry about and get everything organized, make everything prepared, beds were ready in seconds flat, dinner would be on the table, and if my friends were sleeping over, she'd even have their lunches made that night. All, of course, done with pristine cleanliness, rallying the troops, and just with a little hint of a drill sergeant's approach. But man, she gets stuff done. And then I have a mother-in-law, who's very much a Mary. You bring a bunch of people to her house, she brings out fine coffee and sits and listens and connects with people the entire time. Sure, it's maybe a bit messy and a bit scattered, but her caring and soft touch touches the hearts of those around her. Martha and Mary. We tend to use this story, actually, as defining psychological categories, personality profiles, if you will. But as we look at it a little deeper today, you're going to find out that it's really not about that. Mary and Martha are not about psychological categories. This story, for you and me today, is actually about spiritual priorities. The sermon this morning is about spiritual priorities. So boys and girls, when you go home today, if there's one thing you remember, today's sermon is about your spiritual priorities. So the author has titled this gospel message from Luke 10 as Jesus and the Busy Woman. And we're going to hear about three things. We're going to hear about Mary's portion, Martha's problem, and Jesus' patience. All right, so first, Mary's portion. So the story starts that Jesus is with his disciples and they enter into a village and there a woman named Martha welcomes them into their house. And she has a sister named Mary who sits at the Lord's feet and listens to his teaching. So 
Jesus arrives with a bunch of disciples. We don't know exactly how many, but previously in the chapter it talks about having 72 disciples that he was sending ahead of him on his way. And I doubt 72 people rolled into Mary's house, but let's say he at least has his 12. That's still a big group of middle-aged men, hungry, possibly tired, maybe dusty from traveling. And they come in and Martha welcomes them. And Jesus is sitting there and he's conversing with them, teaching them. And Mary comes and she sits at his feet to listen to him. And that expression, sits at his feet, that could literally mean sits at his feet. Maybe like the grade and one and two kids sit at Mrs. Van Tol's feet in school for story time. That was a way people would often teach back then. But it's also an expression to say that she's a disciple. She's listening and learning from Jesus. So you have the same expression, for instance, in the book of Acts. In Acts 22, when Paul talks there about how he sat at the feet of a Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. And so that means he was a student of Gamaliel. He was a disciple. So really, Mary here, when Jesus comes or invites, he acts, she acts like a disciple ought to. She sits and listens and learns from Jesus. And so right off the bat, there's something interesting here. Because in the culture of the day, the stereotype or tradition or the social pressure on Mary would be that she would be in the kitchen with Martha. Rabbis in Jesus' day didn't have female disciples sitting at their feet. But you see here, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Jesus, all those cultural gender stereotypes are left alone, swept to the side. And here we find Mary, a woman, sitting among them as an equal among the disciples, learning at Jesus' feet. And you only have to look at Jesus' repertoire, his love and special place for women in his kingdom, and we are reminded that the kingdom of God crosses over all barriers, race, traditions, social status, and gender. And then in verse 42, Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen the right thing. So it's a little bit like if you have a special birthday cake or if you have some of Mrs. Wildeboer's yummy botakuk, and you cut it up in all different kinds of pieces or portions, and then your child comes along and he carefully examines which one he wants, and what happens? They usually pick the biggest one, the one with the most delicacies on top, the one that looks the most delicious, right? And so Jesus is saying that Mary has chosen the best thing, the best portion, of all the things that she could possibly to do, she's chosen the best thing. And that is to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn and to listen, and to grow from him as a disciple of Christ. So being a Mary is not about being somebody that likes to drink coffee with people and just chat and have good conversations. That's not what being a Mary is about. It's not a psychological category. It's a spiritual priority. Mary's choosing the good portion. She's choosing to sit at the feet, 
Tapped into the vine, she's choosing to learn and listen, to rest and remain in him. You could see the home visit theme here. You could say she's abiding. So immediately you can read that and you begin to ask yourself a couple of tough questions. Because if you or I profess to be a Christian, to follow Christ, then we have to ask, well, am I choosing the good portion in my life? Am I sitting at Jesus' feet? Am I listening to him? Learning from him? Is there evidence in my life that I'm growing as a disciple? That I'm growing in spiritual maturity? That I'm growing in the fruits of the Spirit? Is there evidence in your life, brothers and sisters, that you're growing in the fruits of the Spirit? Not just your understanding of who Jesus is. It's not just that you know a lot about him, but that you know him intimately. Now, how is that for you and for me? You could think of it this way. If someone were to come in and whether living with you or maybe secretly monitoring you with a video camera, they just observed your life for a couple weeks or a couple months, would they conclude that the person is a disciple of Jesus? Would the video evidence conclude that you are someone that sits at the feet of Jesus, that somebody who goes to him, listens and learns from Jesus? spends a good part of their life choosing that good portion and in doing so is deeply connected to the Father. Is that the conclusion that people would come to? Would they see you in prayer, talking to Jesus? Would they see you in his word, learning from Jesus? Being a Mary is about having the spiritual priority of sitting at Jesus' feet. See, we all have to choose the good portion. It's not about, well, I tend to be a little bit more of a Martha. No. We all want to choose the good portion. We all want to sit at Jesus' feet. So that's Mary's portion. Now let's talk about Martha's problem. So you can imagine, Jesus and his disciples show up at Martha's house, and if he's got 12 people, 13 people, It's not like he texted her ahead of time and said, hey, I'm coming soon, you got room around the table. They rolled up and she welcomes them into her home. It's her home, perhaps she's the older sister, but you know, this is her place, and there's stuff to get done. And now, remember, she can't run off to No Frills and get some frozen pizzas. She doesn't have a freezer where she can pull something quickly from. She's got 13 people rolling up, she's got a lot of work to do. She's got to prepare everything, probably with a fire oven in those days. She's got to find uh, stuff to drink, maybe clean the bathroom, and where are they going to sleep? You know, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to have a bunch of people show up, perhaps unexpectedly. There's a lot of work to do. So Martha, she's hard at work. She's busy doing all that preparation. That is not her problem. Martha's problem is not that she's a hard worker or that she keeps care of guests well or she cares to make the welcome and hosting just right. Those are her strengths. 
Those are good things. We need people who get stuff done in this world. If we don't have people to get stuff done, then all the rest of you Mary types, you might just be a little lost. Think about this. Some of you work at Bruce Power, or in construction work, or even in building and architecture work. And you may work with engineers. Luke, Henry, Dave, Mark, you probably have had to work with an engineer. And if you ever noticed, an engineer wears a ring on his pinky finger. A ring that symbolizes his or her obligation and also their certification and also represents a character or a a conduct type because engineers get stuff done. And you get that ring when you have a ritual calling of an engineer. It's a special ceremony engineers have and as far as I know in that ceremony, they read a poem in that ceremony from a man named Rudyard Kipling called The Sons of Martha. It's a poem that describes engineers as the sons of Martha because engineers get stuff done. And So here's just a little quote from that poem talking about the sons of Martha, engineers. Is in their care in all the ages to take the buffet and cushion the shock. It is their care that the gear engages. It is their care that the switches lock. It is their care that the wheels run truly It is their care to embark and entrain, tally, transport, and deliver duly the sons of Martha by land and main. We need engineering types. We need people to get stuff done. We need people to work hard. Being a person of action, Proverbs speaks more than once on that subject. And we need that in the church too. Because just before our text, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is about faith in action, you don't just sit around on your duff, you get stuff done. Those are positive things. We need to have people in the church to get stuff done too because not everybody can. You need people to open the church, do the bulletins, greet the people, organize the live stream and sound, play music, help people, babysit, set up the liturgy boards, make the coffee, update the website, steer evangelism, lead small groups, do the cleaning, pray for the saints, pray for the pastor. There's a lot of stuff to do. You need people who are willing to put in the hard work. So that's not Martha's problem. It's not Martha's problem that she's a hard worker. And if that's you, don't feel guilty about being a hard worker. What is Martha's problem? It says Martha was distracted with much serving. It's not her serving that's the problem. It's that she's distracted by it. And what's she distracted from? She was distracted from Jesus. And that word distracted in the text, in the Greek it means to be pulled in multiple directions. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 7 when he talks about the need for undivided devotion to the Lord or undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's Martha's problem. She's divided in her devotion to the Lord. She's distracted by doing all kinds of other good things. She's distracted from the better portion. See, as one pastor said, too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing when it distracts us from the best thing. 
Too much of a good thing can become a bad thing when it distracts us from the best thing. That's Martha's problem. And that's important for us also because busyness or hurriedness, it's a big problem in our culture. It's a big problem for us here, even in our church. It's so much a problem that strangely, many people often wear busyness like a badge of honor. You ask them, how are you doing? Oh, so busy. As if that's a really good thing. We sort of take pride in being busy. And not always, but then sometimes we can even equate being busy with things in the church. That equals being a good disciple. And more often than not, for us Martha types, in a warped way, we wear this badge of honor because it's mistakenly tied to our identity, our sense of worth. Being busy gives us a sense of worth. If we don't have a lot of tasks or work to do, if we're not pounding hard, you even, you even hear people say, well, I don't know what I'm good for. Doing a, make, doing a lot makes us feel fulfilled. Or you hear Martha types after they retire and they complain, I've, I've lost my sense of purpose. As if our spiritual purpose in the kingdom is only tied to our career or being busy. It's not a healthy thing. And so again, you and I can ask ourselves the question, is this problem in my own life? Would you or someone who knows you very well describe you as always too busy, too hurried, even if it's for all those admirable kingdom work and service in the church? Do you have too much stuff and too many things on the go? And are you too busy to be spending time in prayer, for instance? Are you too hurried that you're not really learning and growing at the feet of Jesus? I forget who it was that said, too busy to pray? No, I'm too busy not to pray. Are you too busy in your life so that you're distracted from the Lord? That's Martha's problem. See, she's so busy in the kitchen, she's distracted from the fact that Jesus is in the living room. And what about you? It can happen, brothers and sisters, and, and I get it, not, not always, but you can see somebody and they look so involved and so busy with all kinds of church stuff. They're serving on this committee and they're the first one to volunteer and it's all good, but actually, in their spiritual life, they're not maturing. They're not growing. They may know a lot about the Lord, but they don't really know the Lord. They aren't growing with him intimately. And they're not growing in the fruits of the Spirit. And sometimes, actually, what they're growing in is they're growing in bitterness. Bitterness, which is also a form of pride. That can happen, right? We just sang about it earlier. We sang about we only add to grief and stress by discontent and bitterness. We can leave stressful lives in the church too. And then we add to our bitterness or discontent because we're not sitting at the feet of Jesus despite all our busy and good intentions. So what's distracting you from Mary's good portion in your life? 
In your life specifically, what's distracting you from Mary's good portion? Maybe if you have a pen and a paper, maybe just take a minute to jot that down. It might be commitment. Maybe you're just going through the motions, living very unintentionally. For some of us, maybe it's laziness or bad habits that you just never really get around to learning from Jesus. I call myself a Christian. I come to church, maybe even for years. But you're just, you're never really bothered to sit at the feet of your Lord. Maybe it's my social media time, my screen time. Maybe it's my idols of pleasure and leisure. Maybe it's my physical exercise, my image, sports, dirt bikes. Nothing wrong with those things. The point is, what's distracting me? And if that's the case, you and I need to repent and seek change. Raise your hand and get some help. Because there's plenty of us also that are just so busy by all the demands of our life. We try so hard, but there's so many things, so many pressures in our culture, so many pressures in our families. And if that's you, you can also need to ask for help. Reach out to someone. Have someone come alongside you and help you with determining your roles and your priorities. Or maybe you need to say, hey, I've got to say no a little more. Maybe I should check with my wife or my husband or my kids before I just sign up to that. And that's hard, and we need some help with that. And then maybe there's some of us here that just tend to think about our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus, in terms of what we do for Jesus, rather than thinking about what Jesus does for us. Remember that badge of honor? All the things you're doing? So busy, your mistaken identity and your performance? Instead of thinking about what you do for God, reflect on what God's done for you. That's how we have to first think about our faith. Maybe some of us need a mind shift to help us run away from Martha's problem and run towards Mary's portion. Martha, how's this all working out for her? All that busyness. Jesus says, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Some of you know about that, don't you? Some of you know about being anxious and troubled about many things. And sometimes it feels like you're living your life as if you're just keeping your head above water with all your activities and all your things and you're feeling anxious and troubled. Sometimes it feels like we're barely hanging on just to get through the doors of church on Sunday morning. I get it. And that plays itself out in a couple ways. Jesus says, Lord, sorry, Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me. You see just a little bit of self-pity in there? That can be the case in our own lives too, where I'm so busy and because I'm so busy doing all these good things and I feel a little bit like, oh, nobody helps me. 
you know, I'm on this committee and I'm helping out in church and there's all people standing around. They never do anything. Grumble, grumble. Or maybe even grumbled on the way into church this morning. You say you're out there loving other people and serving other people, but really, sometimes we're just actually concerned about ourselves. You recognize a little bit of that in your own life? I do. I can recognize that in my life. The Danish Christian philosopher Kierkegaard once said it like this, sometimes in the Christian life there is a love for self that disguises itself as a love for another. Sometimes you say, I'm serving, I'm loving the church, but actually it's self-love. There's some self-pity mixed in there. That's one way how this anxiousness and trouble manifests itself when you have Martha's problem. And get this, another, another way that, you're, that you see this come out is when your relationships begin to suffer. When you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, your relationships begin to suffer. You're hard on people. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me. She doesn't even say Mary. It's one of those scenarios you can imagine where Jesus is sitting there in the other room Mary's in there with him, and he's sitting there. Martha stands up, says, instead of asking Mary, like, and even addressing her name, she's like, Jesus, my sister's not helping. Tell her to help me out. There's tension there. Maybe some of you here who categorize categorize yourself as a Mary or a Martha have a sister who's the opposite. And you know a little bit about what that tension can be. I can sort of imagine, you know, Martha's in the kitchen and Mary's in that other room and she's rattling the dishes around a little louder and slamming the cupboard doors hoping that Mary is going to hear something, you know, maybe make a little bit more noise, hoping that Mary's going to come in. And then she comes out serving the food and does it just with a little bit of extra hurry, maybe even whistling a pious tune, scurrying around to make the other person feel guilty, try to sound out a message to them without any really actually saying anything. Sound familiar? Her relationships are suffering. She's forgotten Proverbs 17.1 which says, Better a dry cust of bread with peace and quiet in a house full of feasting with strife. She's trying to get the feasting going on in the house but there's strife. Your and my relationships will suffer when we're distracted from the good portion sitting at the feet of Christ. If your relationships today are suffering and you're engaging in self-pity and you're sending out subtle messages to people, the solution is not to complain more about them or just to work harder and buck up. It's to look at yourself and say, am I distracted from the good portion? Do I need to sit at the feet of Jesus and pray and engage with him in Scripture? There's a third thing that comes out the way that she's anxious and troubled. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. It's interesting, isn't it? The Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, is in her living room. She's serving him, but now she's going to lecture him. 
What are you doing, Jesus? Can't you see what's going on? Come, come, come on, tell her, tell Mary to get going here. She's commanding God to get things straight. That's something we're often not aware of. But sometimes it can happen in our brains and in our lives where we begin to get bitter towards God. Even un- un- unaware of it. We blame God for things. There's a little bit of that in that Rudyard Kipling poem used in the ritual calling of an engineer. It says this in the last verse. And the sons of Martha smile and are blessed. They know the angels around their side. They know in them is the grace confessed. And for them are the mercies multiplied. They sit at the feet. They hear the word. They see how truly the promise runs. They've cast the burdens on the Lord. And the Lord lays it on Martha's sons. Sometimes we think a little bit like that, don't we? If we don't be careful, our relationship with God gets skewed because all the while we're busy serving in the Lord, we're not sitting at his feet choosing the good portion and learning from him, doing that one thing that is necessary. So again, my brothers and my sisters, if you're really honest with yourself, do you think of your Christian faith in terms of what you have to do what you have to do for Jesus or about what Jesus does for you. If you think of the catechism, out of our thankfulness comes our obedience, not the other way around. So choose the good portion. Choose the one necessary thing. And in that way, avoid self-pity. Avoid harmed relationships with others and maybe even twisted relationships with God. Will you be honest with yourself this morning? Do you recognize that in your own life? Has a good thing possibly become a bad thing because it's distracted you from the best thing? Do you recognize perhaps that your relationships with others and with God is not where they need to be? that maybe there's some root of twisted pride or bitterness toward the Lord himself in your life. You know, we could end the sermon here. You could end the sermon by saying, avoid Mary's, uh, sorry, avoid Martha's problem and just choose Mary's portion. Get your priorities straight. Get going. That's true. That's true. We do need to choose Mary's portion. But the gospel would not be preached to you this morning. You would not be set free if we just left it at flee from Martha's problem and choose Mary's portion. It's one more thing. Hear the patience of Jesus. We look at Jesus in this story. Martha demands, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me. And how does Jesus respond? He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Jesus doesn't say, come on, Martha, seriously, get it together already and get in here. And then neither does he say, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, Martha, I should have known, like, 
sorry, can't, oh, Mary, can you go help her out? He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get frustrated with Martha's questions. And the other, he also doesn't just give in and go along with whatever she wants. Instead, he responds with love and with patience and with truth. Martha, Martha. The repetition is an expression of tenderness. It's grace. It's not Martha, Martha. It's Martha. Martha, you're troubled and anxious about many things. This is Jesus. He knows that Martha's big problem is not in the kitchen. It's in her heart. This is true for you and me this morning too. The big problem is not so much all the stuff we have on our to-do list. It's about our hearts. Jesus says, Martha, anxious, troubled Martha, there's one thing necessary. Don't take Mary away from us. You've got to come be with us. Don't take Mary away from sitting at my feet. You come and sit here with me too. That's what his message is. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled. Don't let yourself spiral down into self-pity and ruined relationships and bitterness even toward me. Come. Sit at my feet. Choose the good portion. Do you see his patience, brothers and sisters? Do you see your Lord's love and mercy for you this morning? You know, Scripture says elsewhere that we have a great high priest that can sympathize with us. We don't have one that wags his finger and says, you gotta smarten up, Martha. He speaks with love and with patience. And this is the good news. The good news we celebrate every Sunday as believers is that when we get sidetracked in life and when we fall into Martha's problems or other problems, the Lord doesn't come in judgment and come in condemnation and say, you got to fix your life, seriously, and get on with it, you stupid sinner. He doesn't come with judgment because he's already taken our judgment on himself on the cross. He doesn't come with condemnation because he's already taken condemnation on himself on the cross. And if he's paid for all that, then he doesn't have any left for you. Instead, he's got love. He's got patience. And he's got mercy that helps you. That helps you overcome your difficulties and overcome your and my Martha problems. He comes with help to save you from yourself and to save you from stereotypes in your culture and to save you from the social pressures going on and to save you from your distracted hurriedness in life. He comes to do that for you. Martha, Martha. You could add your own name in here. Matthew, Matthew. Megan, Megan. Mark, Mark. Add your own name in there and hear the Lord speaking tenderly saying, you're anxious, you're troubled about lots. 
In my love, I'm going to bring you into the good portion. Come, sit at my feet. Keep good company with me. Rest in me. Learn from me. Watch how I do it. Learn those unforced rhythms of grace. This is our Lord, gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in mercy. Your patient Lord. And he's so much more patient than we are often with ourselves. And the beautiful thing about this good news is that it instills hope in our lives. If you recognize that you tend to be distracted in your busyness and you find it difficult to sit at Jesus' feet, there's lots of hope here. There's not just a command to choose a good portion. There's the hope that by Jesus' love and patience, you can change. With his power, by his grace, yes, through him, but you can alter the way that you're living your life. It doesn't have to be that when the elders come to your home year after year that you keep saying, I struggle with ever my devotions or I still not communicate with my wife or I still don't talk to God and I don't really get much from hearing the word. Have a look at me with a passage. Book of John, John 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 11. This is the passage about... um, where Jesus is coming to raise Lazarus. Lazarus was Mary and Martha's older brother. And it's another passage where the Lord meets Martha and Mary. And look at verse 5 with me. John 11, verse 5. Simple again. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Just keep your Bibles open there a minute. Mary doesn't even get mentioned necessarily. Jesus loved Martha in all the middle of her distracted busyness, her self-pity and broken relationships, and maybe even her bitterness towards the Lord himself. He loved Martha. And you know what? He loves all of you too. All of you and I, who are distracted and not sitting at the feet of Jesus like we wish, he loves you too. And therein lies the hope for change in your life. It's possible to change. Look at verse 20 of that same passage. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met with him. But Mary was still sitting in the house. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. It seems like the roles have changed. And it seems that Martha perhaps has been sitting at Jesus' feet, and when he comes, she's the one who's running out to Jesus while Mary stays in the house. And I get it that Mary, Mary later wipes the feet of Jesus, but do you see that change is possible? That things can look different in your life too. You don't have to be in the kitchen banging your cupboards and rattling your dishes in bitterness You can be running to Jesus. You can change. And it can happen because of Jesus' love and his patience. And then you know what? We get one of, actually one of the most beautiful confessions of faith in the entire New Testament from the mouth of Martha, a woman, a disciple at Jesus' feet. 
Have a look at verse 27. She, that is Martha, said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. There are only a few people in all of Scripture that make that confession in the Gospels, and Martha is one of them. Because Jesus' love and patience can transform cold and distant hearts. People who have Martha's problems can turn into people who have Martha's confession. And if it can happen to Martha, brothers and sisters, it can happen to you, not by your own will, but by the love and the patience of Christ and his work in your life. So, spiritual priorities. Mary's portion is to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him as a disciple. Martha's problem was to be distracted from that and not spend time with the Lord. But it's not enough for us just to say, choose that one and avoid this one. What we need to do is we need to praise the Lord God. We need to praise the Lord Jesus for his patience, for his transforming love, a great love that changes the distracted Marthas also today. Jesus, the crucified and then resurrected Lord, has the power to change your life today. Brothers and sisters, and all of you Marthas out there, he loves you. He loves you in all your brokenness. His feet have the scars to prove it. Go sit at them. Amen.